Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive. Blocked by Jackson. Bane, step back three. Bango! Hello, Grizzly fans. Welcome to this edition of The Core Four, one of the featured podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network. We're taping this show on Tuesday evening, January 24th, 2023. On this episode, we'll look back at a stretch that saw Memphis go 1-3 since our last broadcast uh, with a fun victory over the feisty Cavaliers and then three straight and then really increasingly concerning losses to the Lakers, Suns, and Kings, respectively. Now sitting at 31-16, and 16, we are two games behind the Nuggets in the West and three and a half games behind the Celtics for the overall best record. Memphis will wrap up this road trip tomorrow versus our old friends, the Warriors, and then Friday night against Slow-Mo and the Wolves. Let's hope for a positive end of the trip before the team heads home. Tonight, we feature some of our regular segments, Xavier's X's and O's, Embrace Debate, Climbing Corner, and then the Trophy Case, one of my favorite recurring segments. My name is David Buckler, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, M.G. Matt Gill, and Zaytime Xavier Dotson. Great to be with you both. Matt, I'll start with you. How concerning was this past week? There were some concerning moments. Uh, I think it was a really tough road stretch. This was probably the hardest stretch of the schedule we've seen so far, in my opinion especially these last three games um, against, you know, obviously the Suns and Lakers are underachievers from what their preseason uh, expectations were, but they're still tough teams for sure, especially in those environments. But I'm not any less confident than I already was in their ability to win on the road from this. I mean, we already, we've banged them a couple times the last couple episodes for not winning and not showing up in these road games. And I don't know that this three-game stretch really affects how I feel about that part of their game at all. But I did have two main takeaways here. The first one being the Grizzlies have to be the ones that dictate the pace of a game to really be dominant, especially come playoff time. You look at a team like Phoenix and the Lakers, they were able to slow the game down a little bit, make it a more half-court offense kind of game. And then you look at Sacramento, who's one of the most up-tempo teams in the league, but with no John Morant, the tempo on the Grizzly side seemed to be lacking a little bit. Something they've emphasized a lot this year is when they give up a made basket is taking the ball straight out of the net and getting right back down the floor and getting in the offense quickly. That's not really how Tyus Jones likes to play. So I think they were missing a little bit of that. So the pace was something I took away from this. And then the other thing that was really concerning is these slow starts. You look at these three games. Uh, in the first quarters, Lakers up 26 to 23 after the first quarter. Phoenix 32 to 18 and Sacramento 47 to 33. Uh, the Grizzlies have a plus 1.9 first quarter point differential this season. And it's minus 10.3 in those last three games. And they average 29.7 points per game in the first quarter. So the slow starts have really been concerning to me. That's not how they're going to win in the playoffs. This is one of the best first quarter teams in all the basketball this season and last season combined. And I think they put themselves behind the eight ball so much that it was tough to come back. You saw that in the Phoenix game uh, a little bit in Sacramento last night as well. They fight back, but it's too little too late. And it's because they started so slow. So really, um, you know, looking forward, uh, projecting out towards the playoffs, the pace and the slow starts is what was concerning for me uh, in these last three games. Yeah, I understand. And, and Xavier, you know, beyond the record itself, what, what else did you see that, that could cause you some concern? Or, or should we just focus more on being the number two seed in the West as we tape here? Um, I mean, you can take away a, a, a little details from these, this three-game losing skid. Like Matt was saying, I really did realize how bad the pace has been for the Grizzlies. 
they need to play up tempo with the speed, especially that Lakers game. I was being very I, I got frustrated with that game because I think it was like 40 foul called on the Grizzlies that game. And that took away from the Grizzlies game completely offensively. And that's how the Lakers made the comeback. But as well, like it's the body language that what I've been seeing from the players is they pick and choose. OK, when are we going to play our style of basketball like it should be that every single night? And it's, it's easier said than done as a fan perspective. But, I mean, emotionally, these guys go through different things and they have lives outside of basketball. So you just don't know what could be going through these players' minds. But it's like, okay, we need to put emphasis on are y'all wanting to be the best team in the NBA or are you guys okay with the second – I mean, the second-best record? Because right now, I mean, we have the home court advantage heading towards the playoffs. But do you guys have bigger goals? I've seen this team now uh, – I feel like it's a trending record – right now like they don't care about breaking records they just care about things going on right now last year they had an opportunity to get the franchise best team records uh team wins record they had an opportunity they benched their starters the last game against boston and then as well like taylor jenkins said about the streak when they lost to uh to to la uh friday taylor jenkins said they don't care about the streak like he knows that they played bad so Obviously, they feel like, okay, we just have to take it day by day. A lot of us as fans, we see it as, okay, we want more records. We we feel like we want to fall for that top seed in the, in the West. But at the end of the day, like, we have a goal of the playoffs. And then, the, the yeah, like, you got to be able to win on the road on, in the playoffs because these are going to be good teams. Yeah, I think we have a lot to talk about today. It's a pretty interesting time in the season, right? We're not in the early part of the season anymore. We're over halfway. So let, let's jump into our first segment, Xavier's X's and O's. Okay, this week on Xavier's X's and O's, we're going to deep dive into the Grizzlies' road woes this season. Guys, you know I'm a big professional wrestling fan. I love the road warriors. The Grizzlies have not been the road warriors. Sure, the team is 31-16 and 16 overall. It's a 660 winning percentage, which is great. They are 11 and 13 on the road and an even worse five and 11 against the Western conference. Ouch. Sometimes we're not at full strength, but there seems to be something more here. Xavier, what are you seeing? I mean, it's just credit to how difficult and how strong the West is. And just in general with the NBA, we look at the uh, seedings and then all the stand the standings for the whole NBA. It's only seven teams in the whole NBA that has a positive road record. And, Three of them are in – no, four – five of them are in the east. Two of them are in the west. And the two in the west, that's is Denver and Sacramento. And they're barely above the 500 record right, right there. So that lets you know it's a battle every single night in the west. A lot of people think that the west talent is bad, but, like, these guys aren't giving up games in, in, their, in their house. Like, it's not going to be easy. So – I give credit where credit is due. Like a lot of these teams, it's not given every single night for for the Grizzlies. That Lakers game, a lot of people did anticipate that the Grizzlies were going to win that game because I mean we had momentum on our side. We wanted to break a new record, and the Lakers saw as this is a t- chance to make an impactful winning against a great basketball team. And people forget that we are not we're not hunting teams. We are the hunted. Like they're coming after us now because we made that noise. And especially John Morant's comments of him saying that there he doesn't feel like we should be worried in the West. But this is the thing, though. A lot of people are taking this too out of context of John Morant saying that we shouldn't be worried in the West. 
He's talking about a bigger deal in the playoffs. In the playoffs, it's a whole different situation. We're able to play a team seven times. We're capable of playing a team seven times, that one single team. Winning on the road in the regular season is totally different compared to winning on the road in the playoffs because you have time to strategize. You have time to come up with schemes and to stop those players. But you, you, we look at it right now. It's difficult to come, especially from a back-to-back. They played Phoenix the other night to play Phoenix last night. It is difficult to come and get those victories. And so I don't think it's so concerning as a lot of people think. It's just you got to give credit where credit due. The, the Western Conference is just tough to, to, to win. I think there's so much pressure, guys, on on John Moran and Desmond Bain every single night to be special and to put up a lot of points. So, you know, Matt, you touched on it here in the opening about the slow starts. And if you really look at our starting lineup, it's not a real good collection of shooters in terms of high percentage shooters. So, you know, we mentioned, Matt, that the bench players away from home, they usually struggle. Do you see this getting better from this group as we go towards the end of the season? Danny Green has an opportunity to help out in that unit. Conchar has been kind of on, on a downswing. I think that he has a, an opportunity to contribute more, uh, and I think that he will. Zaire is still kind of getting into the rhythm, and he has looked better over the last couple of games. But, yeah, I mean, the bench unit is concerning. That's kind of why we've wanted them to add. Uh, another piece into that kind of group, into that second unit to kind of go, you know, Batman and Robin style in a second group with a Tyus Jones um, and provide some scoring off the bench. But yeah, I mean, once you get into playoff time, you have to shorten those rotations and hopefully they're not going to be relying as much on guys like David Roddy, uh, who is a rookie. And we'll talk more about the rookies in a little bit, but um, you know, and you see Xavier Tillman start last night in Sacramento, like, I don't really know how viable he is in the playoffs. Um, and you would think that that bench rotation shortens a good bit and in in that you see heavier minutes from the starters. But that just goes back to what you just said, Dave. Not a lot of great shooters in the starting lineup either. So maybe one of those guys on the market ends up being somebody that they grab and can add to it, or maybe it's somebody that's already on the roster. But they do need some help, uh, especially shooting the three ball, in my opinion. It's a really interesting collection of talent that we start the game with, and we're seeing these slow starts. And then it's I think the bench lately anyway has struggled to to bring us back and and – I mean, look at the Sacramento game. Zaire Williams, David Roddy, and John Conchar, 45 minutes. They scored a total of nine points, shot three for 18, the three of them. They they get big minutes, and I think we need better production from those guys. But we talked about being on the road, and and the road, it's very difficult for bench players to be consistent. It's really an interesting phenomenon. Uh, So, Xavier, in the X's and O's department, we talked about maybe moving Tyus up into that starting lineup, giving him some more minutes. But then that does weaken the bench because he's such an effective facilitator. Are we still thinking maybe Tyus in that starting lineup would be a good way to start the games, or do you think they're going to leave him there? I don't think they're going to put Tyus in the starting lineup because – Right now, defensively, they're not locked in. Ties is going to – you're going to subtract defense if you take Brooks out the game. Um, a lot of these teams are scoring 30-plus points at the, in the first quarter. Uh, of course, yeah, you can add Ties into the game, and he may be able to knock down a few threes. But at this point, you really have to figure out what, what's up with our defensive uh, strategies. And that's a lot of uh, – from what I've been watching, they've been overhelping on the perimeter, in, in which it, it, it shouldn't be involved like that. Um, a lot of the switches and the rotations have been off. I don't know if, like you said, I mean, they're on a trip right now, West Coast trip. I don't know if they have, they're capable of learning, learning new defensive strategies. 
unless they're at home or whatnot. But the the overhelping has been such a such a big problem for the Grizzlies, which leads to these guys, the opposing team making the threes. It was no reason last night that Trey Lyles supposed to make six threes on us. So, I mean, like, I think defensively, well, they have to lock in before offense comes because a lot of the Grizzlies' offense come from their defense. A lot of people don't understand that. We have to run the fast breaks. We have to cause the turnovers so they can get those easy buckets and get us going because we're not a three-point shooting team at the end of the day. And even if we do trade for those guys for three-point shooting, our main strategy is to attack the paint. That's Taylor Jenkins' strategy. So, therefore, we have to cause turnovers. We have to be able to play those better defense and stop the overhelping, and that will help a lot. Yeah, and you look at get the slow start. Look at Phoenix. We were down 62 to 37 at the half. It was scored 37 in the first half and 35 in the third quarter, 38 in the fourth quarter. Almost pulled that game out, but, Matt, you can't make a living doing that, uh, certainly in a playoff series against better teams. No, you got to get off the bus, ready to play, and that's something that I'm kind of concerned with is that they just have not looked like themselves – to start out games, something I want to go back to Xavier mentioned in the open is that these guys do have lives outside of basketball. I think that's something that's very important. And I would just ask everybody to keep in mind, remember the the New York Knicks game when they won in the garden as triple uh, double for Ja, and he's the garden boy and all this stuff. And then they lay an egg in Minnesota. I wouldn't be shocked. And if you, if you remember reports came out that they had really parted it up in New York after that game, <laughs> totally fine. But I would not be shocked if something similar didn't happen after the one-point win against a really good Cleveland team. And then you're in Los Angeles the next day. I know if I'm John Moran, I'm probably going to have a pretty good time. And that could be a very, very real um, reason that they have not looked like themselves, especially early in some of these ball games. And again, not faulting them for it, but I think that that is a real possibility these guys have lives outside of basketball. They want to have fun, and they deserve it because they're an awesome team. They're young kids. Let them have fun. Another thing I want to add as well, Xavier said, uh, what are you going to do when Trey Lyles is hitting shots like that? And that's why I think really we shouldn't read too much into the Sacramento game. Uh, you know, it's the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, you're on the road, and you have no John, no Steven Adams, and they shoot 55% from three. The Grizzlies just aren't going to win games if that's the case. Like, if that's the setup for the game, they can't win, and I think that that's okay. I don't think that we should read too much into it. Um, but, yeah, the Phoenix and the Lakers game, getting off the bus slow, that's not good. Okay, let's go to our next segment because uh, I think it actually ties in a little bit to what we saw in Los Angeles. You just mentioned that, Matt. So let's go to our next segment, Embrace Debate. So this week on Embrace Debate, in one of the most bizarre situations you'll ever see, last Friday in Los Angeles, Pro Football Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp got into a verbal and, and then almost a physical alterca- altercation, altercation first with Dylan Brooks, then John Morant, then T. Morant, and even Steven Adams. It was super intense, and fortunately, security got everybody separated without further escalation. Matt, why didn't Dylan just walk away when Shannon started jawing with him? And isn't that the professional thing to do? Yeah, but it's not professional by Shannon Sharp either to kind of be starting stuff like that. I would I would wonder, Dave, um, as a guy that you do have reverence for some history, both NFL and NBA, what did you think about Dylan referring to him as a – as a blogger or whatever he called him uh, after the game, not really putting respect on Shannon Sharp's um, NFL stats and being a real player. What'd you think about that? Yeah, my, my first reaction was, Hey, so am I, that's fantastic. These guys think so highly of us, right? <laughs> what we do. Yeah. That's exactly us, right. Guys. 
That's, we're, we're the professional equal of Shannon Sharp. Yeah, um, that's, that's that's you know it's a it's a that's a slight. I, I I didn't like any of it. Um, I just think that, and honestly, my my biggest takeaway from the whole situation is this is a regular season game in Los Angeles. What does Dylan Brooks thinks he's going to hear in the NBA Finals in Philadelphia or in the NBA Finals in Boston? These East Coast cities are super intense in basketball. You're close to the court. You know, Shannon Sharp's way out of line. I, I want to get your take, Xavier, and even his apology. And just did you feel that was sincere? But I, I felt like we've talked about the maturity of this team. They are not the, the hunt, hunters anymore. This team's going to come in, and 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 we're looking to go to maybe the finals. And the intensity of that environment is really, really strong. And people are going to say things, especially if they think they can get in your head, Xavier. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, you know, Dylan Brooks, he's a, a loose cannon, so. Any opportunity that he can to say some words and, and get some somebody to get him riled up is going to be easy because he's just so emotionally unattached. I mean, emotionally uh, uh, un unstable at times. But you got to be mature in that situation, though, Dylan Brooks. And same goes to Shannon Sharp. I feel like he shouldn't have been able to come back into the game. But, I mean, obviously his stature there in L.A. and him being such a, a big uh, being a big uh, celebrity and, and the media and whatnot, of course, he's going to be back into the game. But I felt like that was supposed to be the ignition right there to go ahead and finish the game against L.A., but that's a whole different story. But these guys, they do have to realize, like, we're – although, like, yes, we're celebrities. I mean, top-notch NBA stars and whatnot, your actions and your – responses is always being watched and it's going to have some some type of value behind it and the way that the grizzlies i understand like you're going to stand behind your brother and whatnot but at the same time you should be pulling them back and should be like come on bro like we we had to have time it's a close game we need to get ourselves back together and at the same time shannon sharp i i, I feel like his apology was sincere i'm glad he did apologize and be the bigger man but the Grizzlies, they got to get their, their hairs back together. Here they are. I mean, we're on a three-game losing streak. And, uh, I mean, hopefully that that is out their system by now. See, I thought there was a little bit of carryover. I, I thought that, you know, once they got Shannon back in his seat and we got through halftime, you know, maybe that'd be the end of it. But, you know, we blew a seven-point lead with three minutes to go. It was a disheartening loss. The steal late like that was, was kind of disheartening. It was just a strange night. And then we saw them come out against Phoenix on Sunday and look awful. And I, I just wondered – did, did you see any carryover, Matt? Did you think it impacted the team? All the negative criticism afterward, getting getting crushed in the media. It was, just, it was a it was not a good look for Shannon. It was not a good look for the Grizzlies. I didn't like the emotional response that we're you know we we I think we let a game slip away. Did you think there was carryover effect that frankly we may still be feeling? I don't know that it necessarily was directly related to that. Um... Not that they were, like, embarrassed by it or anything like that. They may have just been thinking about it, and that is enough to, like, distract you from moving on and, and going on to get ready for Phoenix or whatever. Um, but I will say I thought the whole thing by Shannon Sharp was extremely corny. I think he's a corny dude. Something that <laughs> Xavier something that Xavier pointed out saying, well, he's a celebrity. He has stature in L.A. He's also, like, actually friends with LeBron. That's, like, the biggest reason that he got to come back to the game. Like, if LeBron wants him not to come back into the game, we've seen it before. LeBron's gotten people tossed before if he didn't want Shannon back in the game. Shannon's not coming back into the game. But the fact is that he is friends with LeBron. He's standing up for the Lakers. He's standing up for LeBron himself. And so he gets to come back and sit in a seat where most fans 
nine times out of 10 would not get to do so. The other thing I want to point out, this all starts from last year. Remember when Desmond Bain and LeBron were, were chirping and going back and forth. Um, so it goes back a long ways. This And and then, you know, Shannon is using the, the they don't want the smoke um, kind of phrasing similar to when Giles saying, you know, we'll run up the chimney, all this stuff. The whole thing was just corny in my opinion. And you know what? I think the Grizzlies did walk away with it. I hope I, they should at least feel a little bit embarrassed. If you're going to talk all that smack, like they should have closed them out. Exactly. Like Xavier said, that was an opportunity to step on their throats and, and just in that game, once you get fired up like that, but uh, they did not accept that as a personal challenge. And I still go back to, I, I don't know that the, the actual Shannon Sharp thing took them out of their, their, their mojo. And I would say that it's more likely that they just had a really good time in LA and that had a carryover effect. The other thing I want to point out is like, I'm tired of this stuff. It's corny, and it's also nobody actually wants to fight in the NBA. Uh, the Jordan Clarkson thing with the Grizzlies was dumb. There, nobody was actually going to fight, especially once Stephen Adams got in the middle of it. Like that's over. It's it's done. Um, and I want to remind everybody of two different things. Like, remember just a month ago, Killian Hayes got suspended three games for hitting Mo Wagner in the back of the head, like without pay. Like that's a that's a pretty significant punishment. So that so guys like John Morant are not going to fight who are making millions of dollars and and hundreds of thousands and and you know tens of thousands per game. They're not going to want to lose three paychecks. And and then the other thing that came to mind was Paul Pierce losing his job with ESPN for, like, just posting on his Instagram. Like, if he gets in a fight with John Morant or John Morant's dad or whatever, you don't think Fox is going to fire him? Like, nobody actually wants to fight. So I'm just tired of, like, all this distraction, dumb. Nobody's going to fight each other. So just play, play, play the game. Just roll the ball <laughs> out. And, like, I'm all for trash talk, but let's not act like there was actually going to be any, any punches thrown especially once Steven Adams walks over there and is like, hey, let's let's end this. It's done at that point. So the, the, the three games that we lost, I, I don't think all losses are created equal. I mean, the Lakers, the Suns, and the Kings, one of the things that does concern me a little bit, guys, is these could be playoff teams against the Grizzlies in, in April and maybe into May. And I, I know it's just one regular season game, but it, it would have been nice to go into L.A. and win that game and win it convincingly and not choke it or blow it at the end like that. And then, you know, in, in the Lakers, a little bit of spark now. Davis might be coming back soon. The Suns have been playing a little bit better. The Kings look really, really good. And, and it, it would have been nice for that little emotional edge just to, to win those games. Xavier, is that overstating it? Or do they look at each opponent just all, all as the same? Uh, I mean, especially, you know, with the, with the Lakers, I feel like they failed to capitalize and win right there. Like I said, after that emotional halftime right there, you should come out and, yeah, like what Matt said, put your foot on their on their necks but I, I don't feel like it's at the same time it's something that's just so concerning like I said the West is just hard to win on the road at the end of the day these teams are prepared they're wanting to to knock off the Grizzlies I mean we talk the noise now so guess what we got to back it up and when we don't back it up it's going to show on the internet it's going to show on the media and, and that's what they want to do they really want to embarrass us but I don't think that deters the Grizzlies because they know what they're capable of. And they know they talk the noise. And at the end of the day, they're not perfect. So we have to remember that, that these losses are going to happen. But at the end of the day, there's a goal. We want to go to the playoffs. We want to make the champion go to the, to the finals and win the championship. And I still feel that we're capable of doing it. Kind of big games this week, Matt, I think, at Golden State and at Minnesota, two teams that we have some history with. What, what are you expecting in these last two games? On the yeah, it'll be, 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. I have no faith in the just going off the last three games. What have you done for me lately? I have no faith that the Grizzlies are winning in Golden State. I think it's going to be a really um, raucous and, and tough environment to play in. Steph Curry is now getting back in the mix and kind of rallying those troops. And that and and, and let's just think about the motivation of these two teams. The Grizzlies uh, do not have to win this ball game, but the the Warriors are fighting for their lives right now to get into a top four seed, get out of any kind of play-in discussion, have any kind of hope for a home playoff, uh, at least in the first round couple of games. So they they need every game they can get over this next couple months or a couple weeks stretch that they have coming up. They I think, you know, you can think about it as in terms of the Grizzlies got embarrassed on Christmas Day and you would hope that that motivates them, but they don't really need this ball game. Whereas I think the Warriors have a lot more to play for and Minnesota, I just think, stinks. They have no... Um, that there, there's no way to know what, they, and they don't even actually stink. They're just, they're so inconsistent. They, they barely beat the war or the Rockets the other night. And then they lose to them in the second game of the, of those two in a row and a bad Rockets team at that. And not, you know, I don't know what to expect in that game at all, but I have no faith against the, the Warriors by any means. I think since we recorded guys last time, the Warriors went into Cleveland down basically their top four guys and, and, and beat the Cavs on their home court. And Jordan Poole put up 32. I thought that was one of the most impressive victories. Like you said, they're, they're fighting and clawing for every win now. And uh, it's, it's a re- it's a must watch tomorrow night. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. They got stuff to play for the Grizzlies right now. They're It's kind of going back to that cushion you talked about. They, they built up. They can afford to have a four game skid. The Warriors cannot right now. Okay, today's next topic, climbing corner. We'll play a little GM as now the season is 57 to 58% complete. And we're getting closer to that February 9th trading deadline. The Lakers broke the ice and acquired Rui Hushimura from my hometown Wizards. I wonder if this will signal the start of a flurry of trades around the league. The ringer.com, for example, speculates that the Clippers absolutely need to go all in starting now. Xavier, what about Memphis? It's hard to say. Uh, I've been on the wave this whole entire year, this whole entire season, thinking that the Grizzlies should not make a trade. But it is concerning that the lack of the three-point shooting from the Grizzlies is pretty big. It's pretty significant. And I look at the Spurs. They're having a bunch of basically a, a, a BOGO sale right now. They're giving away players because uh, they're trying to take from Wimbayamba. You look at Doug McDermott, he's a great three-point shooter. They're only asking for a second-round pick. So we have uh, plenty of second-round picks. It is the three-point shooting that we really, really need. I don't think that they're going to make the big move that a lot of people think. But as as far as a role player, such as a, a guy that can give you some three-point shooting, I see that. I, I mean, I see that as a possible thing to happen. But at the most part, I feel like this team is settled. That they're not going to break this chemistry. That everybody. I mean, a lot of fans feel like that we we should take pride of that. And a lot of fans feel like at the end of the day, this is a business. So we need to make the trade and make the right decisions that's going to make us to be a top playoff team, playoff contention. So I, I still stick by what I'm saying. I don't think that there's going to be a trade. If there is a trade, it's going to be for a simple role player that's going to provide three-point shooting for us. They must think Danny Green is going to provide something, and we keep waiting for his debut. The problem is the longer it takes for him to debut and get integrated, the closer we get to the trading deadline, right? There is kind of a a time frame here, Matt, no? Yeah, I'm with you. I want to see Danny Green out there, see what he can do. I don't even care if he puts up 20 shots in his first game. Like, let him knock the rust off, see how he fits into the offense, uh, and it's all good with me. 
Uh, I'm with Xavier. I think it's going to be a Malik Beasley, Doug McDermott type. The problem is that somebody's either going to have to go out or get waived. Um, and I don't really know who it is besides Xavier Tillman is really the only odd man out uh, that I could see getting waived or, or put into a deal like that uh, because they're not going to want to give up like Dylan Brooks or Danny Green to get Doug McDermott back or Malik Beasley or anything like that. So it's going to be one of those uh, other guys that are kind of lower on the totem pole. But, you know, Xavier talks about not making a big move. And, man, after that Phoenix game, just all I could think about was uh, Mikel Bridges, man, just how how good that dude is and just how sick he would look if you just swap him and Dylan Brooks, man. Like, he would be such a help on this team. That's the that's a splash trade I want to see. Like, he's the next guy that I think that can make an Andrew Wiggins-type jump and help a team win an NBA Finals. And he's already been to one, by the way, which is a huge help as well. And he's a young kid on a really good contract. Um, I would like for them to make a big swing like that. It's probably not going to happen. I'm with Xavier. The, the more likely aspect is this team either stays pat or they add a three-point shooter um, who's not going to play more than probably 10 minutes a game for them. Well, what's really interesting is that a lot of people talk about the youth of the Grizzlies and what a strength that is. The problem is when you draft John Moran and he goes into this next level being a superstar, our time frame changes. And now the youth of our roster, I think, is a little bit exposed. And you talk about in the playoffs that the bench gets shortened. I mean, I like this rookie class, but if you really break down the numbers, it's not super encouraging, especially when you start looking at what some other first-round picks have done around the league. There's been some nice first-round picks that are contributing. I, you know, I went down and looked at Roddy, Chandler, Williams, Laravia, and Lofton. Look at their season splits. Look at their season averages. It's not a whole lot of special there. Now, you can say, well, they're young and they're learning, but they did get a couple of them anyway pretty decent playing time early in the year when we had some injuries. I just think there's not a lot of special in that group. And so next year, now we have all of our first round picks. We have all these second round picks. We have the extra pick from the Warriors. Are we going to just keep drafting and drafting? We don't need more younger players. And, and the, the thing is, these guys are nice, but John Morant's ready to win now as good as he is. And we can't just assume that we have the next 10 years with him because six, 380 pound guards in this league don't unfortunately last. He's not LeBron James, six, eight, two sixty. And so I, I just feel like, you know, these are really nice young kids and all that, but we may have to package a few of them to get someone around the fringes of this team that can really address, because if we're being honest, it's a bad free throw shooting team. It's a bad three point shooting team. And there's not a whole lot of athleticism in that second unit that, that if you're in a playoff series, I mean, Jordan Poole scored 32 points in Cleveland. We don't have anyone on this team, you know, that's going to go off, you know, other than Ja and Bain and once in a blue moon, maybe Jaron and score 32 in a, in a, in a road game for us. So I, it, I think we're going in to the playoffs. We don't, improve around the fringes of the team with some guy who can get hot off the bench. People will say, oh, that's just your old. It's the other you always say, you always say. I think it's important. Yeah, if I could add on to the draft uh, class as well, Dave, I think this is really a, a champagne problem of the NBA. If you're good, you're just picking at the end of the first round, and you're really hard-pressed to find good players at the end of the first round, and that's what the Grizzlies had to do. I will say they did. They've made the the trade now. Looking back on it, looks very bad. But they essentially traded Jake Laravia and Walker Kessler straight up in that draft with Minnesota. Walker Kessler's been unbelievable in Utah, and I don't know that he necessarily fits into what the Grizzlies are doing right now. But 
that would be a that, that's a huge miss right now when Laravia can't get on the floor at all from Memphis. And I look at some other guys. I've got two separate lists here. When I when I think about this Grizzlies rookie class right now, they are all high floor but very low ceiling guys. There's not a single all star in this rookie class from this year. And so, and really, they're not really helping out right this second either. So I have two different lists. I have guys that have a much higher ceiling than who we got. And I have another list of guys who are rookies who are contributing right now. I mentioned Walker Kessler. Christian Brown for the Nuggets has been a really good rookie who went 21 overall. Could have got with that with that LaRavia pick instead. And then Andrew and Walker Kessler, as I said. And then 31, Andrew Nemhard. I would much rather have him. He's been awesome for Indiana. I would much rather have him than Kennedy Chandler right now. He's a bigger player who's able to shoot the ball from three at a high percentage as well. And I look at some of these guys with higher ceilings. I just think that the that there's no chance that any of our rookies this year are going to be an all-star at any point. And some of these guys, you look at uh, Bochamp, who's playing for Milwaukee. He's shown flashes of greatness. Uh, the guy, Nikola Jovic, who was, uh, came over from Europe this year, has been for Miami. That's a guy who I think has star potential, and I thought it going into that draft. And then Jaden Hardy, the kid for Dallas, yeah. who just, like, explodes for points all the time. Like, I would much rather have any of those three guys because they have such a higher ceiling and they have an opportunity to be great. And as you said, Dave, uh, they're just they're, – they're almost too reliant, I think. I think Roddy may be contributing too much too soon, and, and that does worry me come playoff time. He's 14th among rookies and total minutes played and all the guys in front of him are on rat teams besides Keegan Murray. Um, he's playing. And when it comes to playoff time, I just don't think that we need to be relying on a rookie, especially if you're trying to buy for a championship. You look at all the other teams, Golden State, um, that, that won last year, obviously the Celtics, uh, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, name one, Milwaukee. They're not, they don't have guys in their top even seven or eight that are rookies. Like they're, they're so much farther down. They're just gravy on top. And that's what these rookies should be. But we haven't really seen it yet from this class. Yeah, right, Xavier. I mean, we've got five rookies this year. And again, we have all these draft picks coming up. I mean, Oklahoma City is going to face the same thing at some point. They don't need 25 first round picks over the next seven years. You know, at some point, they become capital to move in. And, and I do think the youth of our team, I mentioned earlier, not just in the rookies, but in our behavior sometimes in an increasingly intense NBA, because we are not the Houston Rockets right now. We're the second team in the West. Xavier did. Does that kind of line up like we've got to have the maturity in the locker room and the maturity on the court to handle some of this pressure? Yeah, uh, uh, of course. I feel like with the lead with John Morant leadership, they put so much responsibility on him to have the, these guys in check um, because in, in actuality, I don't think Bain becomes an all star caliber player without John Morant. I don't think a lot of these guys who are role players elevate their play without John Morant. So I feel like a lot of the of the GMs and in, in, in the leadership here for the Grizzlies organization, they believe that John Morant can pe- keep these guys in check. In actuality, he's really just a kid and getting his life started as well. Um, you see now, I mean, with the rookies that we have, the five rookies, of course, Kenny Lofton and Vince Williams, those are the, the two-way contracts, and so they're going to have them in development. They're not David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, I mean, they're not going to have minutes at this point. They had played some pretty decent minutes at the beginning of the year, but you, we've had more guys to become healthy. I don't even see David Roddy getting any more minutes once Danny Green is out there on the court and he gets some, himself asserted effectively. That's if that is a positive from Danny Green. But I mean, I, 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 
out of the all the rookies, I mean, I've been impressed by David Roddy. I really feel like he should be playing more over John Conchart because John Conchart, he has not been giving you any type of contribution within the past six games. He's only average, he's only scored a total of five points within the past six games. It's pretty abysmal. But I do feel like after this season, based off what the playoff is going to tell us, they're going to package up those deals. I mean, those picks and players, these young players, and make a big move if ne- if necessary. If the Grizzlies do not make the, a big jump into the Western Conference Finals or the Finals, yes, we're going to anticipate a big jump because they have a core. All you just need is probably uh, that other big swing player and a few role players, and you got your team right there that's capable of winning a championship. Yeah, that's a good point that and you've both mentioned this. I think you've been on it uh, really since we started the podcast that they're going to play the season out and then make their move in the off season, which really would give them more time to integrate a new player. I mean, it is difficult to go make a trade now, right? And all of a sudden he's our starting three guard uh, or something like that and expect, you know, the cohesion there. There's not a lot of practice time during the season. Guys, I wrote five things down here. I, I, I have five things I think the Memphis Grizzlies do at an elite level, at an NBA championship level. Brooks is one-on-one defense. Steven Adams' offensive rebounding, Jaron Jackson's shot blocking, Desmond Bain's three-point shooting, and John Morant. Because everything he does is – I mean, he's not the greatest defensive player in the world, but he's one of the top six or seven players on the planet. So everything Ja does is great. And those are the other ones. And and then the the note here is, is that enough? You know, we have other nice players. Those are the five things that we do at a level that could bring a championship to Memphis. Do you agree or disagree with that list? I, t- I totally agree with your list. I mean, all of it does sound good. But as well, like you said, with the three-point shooting, how big, how valuable it is and how teams can ignite it, like Golden State or the Kings, we do have to add a little bit more three-point shooting. That can that that does worries me. But what do you think, Matt? I mean, you think, you, you know, it's like Brooks' one-on-one defense is as good as it gets, but he, he comes with baggage. Steven Adams' offensive rebounding is fantastic in the, in the, in the pick and roll, but we talk about the free throw shooting, you know, it's like they have holes in their game. Jaron's defensive work around the glass is incredible, but he's still somewhat hit or miss on offense. Yeah. There's pluses and minuses to all of it. Uh, I would like to get Xavier's take on this. Actually. I meant to ask you this. What did you kind of make of Dylan Brooks kind of complaining about the way he's been refereed and the physicality he's not allowed to play with right now? What do you, what do you think uh, about that? I mean, a lot of it's, it's known now of who Dylan Brooks is. He's not that guy that a lot of people doesn't know about as an underrated defender. He He's run his mouth a lot more. He's disliked from a, a huge franchise now of the Warriors. So, of course, people are going to see him as, like, a guy that's not respected, and refs aren't going to respect him because, I mean, he always has – he's always talking. And I, his game is defensively – like, don't get me wrong, he had a great defensive possession against – the Cavaliers to, to stop Darius Garland right there. But it's a lot of times that he is, he's sort of out of control. He makes the bad fouls. He makes some, some of those of those dumb decisions like Jaron Jackson does. And that puts him in a position. Okay. Yeah. You racked up your fouls. And why are you complaining about it? At the end of the day, you know, it's a foul. And we know like, yes, yeah, sometimes the referees are going to alleviate more uh, physicality some, some games than others. But you have to remember, this is the regular season as of right now. They're not going to have the same big of physicality like they do in the playoffs and let you guys play. So Dylan Brooks have to be careful of his words because even when you're saying that, 
guess what? The refs aren't going to, they see that, the refs are going to read that article and they're going to be like, okay, we're, we're really going to pick on this guy now. Yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely with you. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I think there is some truth to it, especially in that Sacramento game. I think another part of it is that we have a team full of guys that are just hard to referee. Like, it's hard to tell, like, when to call a foul. And I think refs struggle with it all the time on John Morant because he is searching for contact at the top. Uh, and and guys like Steven Adams, who for a lot of guys, it's it's not like he's shoving dudes super hard. He's just the strongest guy in the NBA. So sometimes he's going to get a foul because it looks like a foul. And then Jaron Jackson, who's going to contest every single shot. I just think we have a team full of guys who are hard um, to referee against. And, Dave, if I can go back to your list, I think the problem with it is your your list is all one guy who does one thing super well. Like I think about the Steven Adams part of it. Yes, he is an elite rebounder, but is one guy enough to make uh, you an elite rebounding team? Now we've seen with the Grizzlies, they are an elite rebounding team. There are a lot of guys that contribute, but uh, you know, we've talked about Jaron Jackson. I think he's a guy that still has to keep his rebounding numbers up. He's done better in the, in the last couple of weeks and stuff like that. But, um, once it comes playoff time, it has to be a gang effort. Uh, right. It has to be everybody pitching in on the rebounding, on the three-point shooting, on the one-on-one defense. I don't know that that having one guy who's elite at one special thing necessarily makes you elite at that skill as a team. I think that it takes a, a team effort, especially come playoff time. Yeah, and let me just be very clear. That was exactly the point of the list, is that we have an elite three-point shooter, maybe the best in the world, but we're not, not a good three-point right, shooting team. Right, right, right. No, I got you. Defense. And, and, and Xavier hit that earlier, too, about the closeouts and the rotations have not been great. I mean, so you're absolutely right. Uh, J- Jaron's not a great rebounder, even though Steven Adams – you know, so that, that was exactly the point of the list, is we have skills, I think, that are world championship caliber, but it doesn't always permeate down to the rest of the team for a collective team improvement in that area. Okay, our final segment for the day. It's our trophy case. It's time to hand out some hardware. So, Matt, what do you have in the spirit of the 2023 Oscar nominations that were just announced? Who's taking home some hardware today? Yeah, I've got two. I've got one um, for a non-Grizzly, and I've got one for a Grizzly. I'm going to start with the Luka Doncic. Congrats, you played yourself into shape award. And that goes to Anthony Edwards. Um, I look at guys up and down the league, man. We saw it with James Harden, who maybe did it a little bit more on purpose. But you think about Luka Doncic, one of the best basketball players in the entire world. And then Anthony Edwards, a guy who I have so much faith in being an absolute killer. How are guys just not coming into the year ready to play basketball, man? And I think some of it was mentality with Anthony Edwards. I think he was frustrated. He looked disengaged and a little bit lazy to start the year, honestly. And I think part of that had to do with the addition of Rudy Gobert and figuring out Where do I fit in this? Why is this not my team? Why am I not being handed the keys to this franchise when I'm clearly their best player? And I think that he should have been. I think the Minnesota Timberwolves made a a grave error by not letting uh, Anthony Edwards be their number one guy and making it as easy as possible on him. But the reason he gets this award is he has finally played himself into shape and he's looking very good. He's probably going to be an all-star. Last 20 games, 27 points Per game, five assists, six rebounds, 1.5 steals per game, 46, 37, 82 shooting splits. He's finally rounded in a shape, but I just don't think um, that guys should be, uh, you know, we shouldn't applaud guys too much when they show up um, into the NBA season out of shape and not looking engaged. I think that that's kind of your job. So maybe come into the year ready to play. But he is now looking good, and I'm excited to play those guys um, this week as well. And then my second award, this is going to be for a Grizzly Something I picked up in the Phoenix game, man, you see it every night, but I think that maybe when you watch this team all the time, it's something that maybe you can get used to. 
But I just watched Desmond Bain moving off ball uh, in that Phoenix game. I was like, God, he would be no fun to guard whatsoever. So he gets my Steph Curry perpetual motion award. There were so many times in that game where he would pass and immediately make a cut or do a give and go. He's always moving without the basketball. And for three quarters, guys want to maybe do want to run around with you and guard that. But once it comes to the fourth quarter, man, guys are worn out chasing that dude up and down the court. And I think that that's a real, real big weapon in his game. Um, and he's really helped them out the last little bit. Um, ever since he came back from injury, he's been such a difference maker for him. And I just love Desmond Bain. Uh, and he needs a little bit more credit, man. He moves off ball as well as anybody in the league. And his sheer strength, right? I mean, it, it, when, and he drives, and when, when he's hitting you, it's got to wear you out. Yeah, great, great, yeah, great awards this week. How about you, Xavier? What do you got? All right, yeah, I got two. One, Grizzlies-wise, and one for the league, starting off with the Grizzlies. I have the award. I don't care about my field goal percentage. Zaire Williams, what was it, 95 feet? <laughs> Finally. I, it's so many players that just don't chuck the ball up or wait till the buzzer ends to chuck it up. But Zaire, he chucked that shot up, man, and it really did change the outcome of that game because, in reality, it looked like it was going to be a blowout. But they get, really gave them the spark to continue to, to fight, and uh, he ended up having a good game that game, even though they lost, and he had a pretty decent game last night against Sacramento. And I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. I don't care about my field goal percentage award. That's Zaire Williams this That's week. That's a good and then, one. And then, as well – for my league one, I got keep sleeping on us. That's the Philadelphia 76ers. Philly has finally made themselves a top team in the Eastern Conference. They're second in the East right now. They was on a road stretch, and they went 5-0, and oh, and they had a pretty difficult stretch. They played against the Clippers. They beat the Clippers. They played against the Trailblazers at home. They beat the Trailblazers. They played against the Jazz. Like, they had a, a pretty rough stretch down the road, and they, they took care of business. Well, I take that back. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did go 5-0, and, and they beat the Kings. So, I, I'm, I'm – and B really should be in MVP conversations if we're being quite frankly honest, but it's somebody in Denver that's playing a little bit better and they have a better record. So, Embiid has been playing great. I mean, of course, we got our boy DeAnthony Milton. He's been draining a lot of, a lot of threes. Tyrese Maxey is back healthy. He's a microwave of a player. He can ignite it real quick. And everything is just looking great for the 76ers right now, man. And they're in contention again in the Easter Conference. Hopefully they can make it, finally make it out the second round. But, man, I, I'm, I'm liking what I've been seeing from the 76ers. That's a great point. I'm telling you, if, if Memphis goes to the finals and plays the Sixers or the Celtics, those East Coast cities are super intense. The fans are a little over the top. I mean, they would be very difficult road games to play. But I, I want to ask you guys, it, it, you hopefully you did your all-star voting. It's a little weird. You sort of still have to do like two guards, two forwards, and a center. Because you mentioned Joel Embiid. Look at that all-star starting group for the East between Durant, uh, right, uh, Embiid, uh, the Greek Freak, and then um, Tatum in Boston. I think if you wedge them in they can't all start right you got to have one is on the second unit that's ridiculous yeah 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 i mean it's always been like that but yeah i mean who, who actually comes off the bench i mean now we know that kevin durant is injured so yeah that cuts out that eliminates a player but if, hypothetically if he was healthy like one of those guys have to come off the bench <laughs> and amazingly it's and amazingly the stats would say it's Giannis. Like Giannis is, has had by far the worst season out of all those guys. And he's still having a great season. I don't mean it like that. But just his efficiency shooting the ball has not been as good. They've obviously um, been struggling a little bit. But a guy who a lot of people would say is a top five player 
in the entire world, and, and he may be coming off the bench this year as an all-star if everybody was healthy as wild. We should do that on a future core four and, and draft our East-West starters, and I think that'd be good. I got, I got I, Those are great trophies, guys. I got one here uh, to close the show. I got the corner office trophy for the entire Memphis Grizzlies because, you know, as it goes, everybody wants to be a manager. Yeah, you got a bigger office, you know, you're making more money, got a slick title, but with that comes more responsibility. Tough decisions have to be made. And remember, managing people is hard. As the old expression goes, life is not hard. People make it hard. <laughs> and, and right now the Grizzlies are in the corner office and uh, it puts a spotlight on them. And it's going to come down to whether they can handle that stress, handle that glare. You know, when John says we're okay with the West, it puts a big spotlight on that team. And, you know, every team in the West come playoff time is going to hear that interview over and over. So they have to win. It puts a, it puts a big spotlight on them. They're in the corner office now and they get my corner office uh, trophy for the week. Love it. Okay, that is our show for this week. Before we wrap, Matt, where can the listeners find you on social media? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Matt H. Gill. Follow at SBN Grizzlies for all that Grizzly Bear Blues content and follow our page as well at the Core 4 Podcast. Good being with you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. And Xavier, uh, give us your socials. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytom Takes. And then for a little bit more NBA analysis, you can find my TikTok at underscore XZAY. Excellent, excellent. Okay, you can find me at DLB19338 on Twitter. Don't forget to check us out each week, as Matt said there, uh, on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network. You can follow us on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast. Send us questions or topics you, you would like us to discuss on an upcoming broadcast. And, guys, let's hope for a better end to this road trip, and we'll get back together again next week. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of the Core 4, the show for the hardcore Memphis Grizzlies fans. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Baby, it's over.